welcome again to another edition of the Anwim Housing Home is Everything podcast. This year in 2020, we're starting a series to really explore the ways that housing stability and homelessness intersects with other subjects, sectors, and community issues. At, uh, at Anwim, we work and collaborate with a number of different partners in the community uh, who are working together with us to really address the, uh, the needs of issues of, of individuals in our community that are struggling with, with, uh, with housing, but issues that go far beyond housing. And so it's our hope in this series this year to uh, broaden the understanding of how not only we work together as a community, but the necessity of the community collaboration in order to make a, uh, a significant change and impact on the homelessness uh, uh, issues in our, in our community. To start that off, our first edition of this series is Using Data to Understand and End Homelessness. We've invited Aaron Stover-Wright, Senior Analyst at the Institute for Community Alliances, and we have Cynthia Latcham, Director of Programs and Services at Anwim Housing. Welcome to you both. Hey, Russ. How are you? Thanks, Russ. <laughs> Glad you guys could both be with us. So, I'm going to start with Aaron. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just... Tell us a little bit of, you know, as an introduction to the Institute for Community Alliances, what uh, what is that organization all about? Uh, sure. Well, Institute for Community Alliances has been around for uh, just coming up on 30 years. Uh, and uh, as an agency, we started out in, in other realms. But when um, the Continuum of Care program ramped up, we stepped in to be uh, the, the data management people, Homeless Management Information Systems is its formal name. And so that's a, a data repository uh, and, and to some degree case management tool um, that lets us collaborate as a community across the city, across the state. Um, so every uh, homeless service provider who receives any kind of HUD funding, but also several that don't. Uh, in Des Moines, 100% of agencies uh, participate in this network. Uh, so you put in the, the client level data and we're able to, um, using that data, figure out what, what trends, what population profiles are present in the homeless community and then ideally uh, make good planning decisions around that. Um, ICA then, uh, we've been growing a lot lately. Uh, we've uh, recently uh, renamed ourselves from Iowa Institute to Institute, maybe about five or six years ago. And we've, we've grown to, to a regional data provider now uh, in, in Minnesota, Wisconsin, Missouri, uh, a few other states. Um, and so we're able to uh, capitalize on that uh, to, to uh, make, I, I'd like to think, uh, a better use of our analytic resources. Um, I came on with ICA about 10 years ago. Uh, so other people at the agency do the core requirement of reporting data up to HUD. Uh, I, I view my role more in that in that collaborative uh, community building uh, capacity. I come from an academic background in sociology, PhD in sociology from Iowa State, uh, and my area of, of interest, my my uh, academic pursuit was around the intersection of community and inequality. So I've always thought that homelessness really is descriptive of that. Homelessness is the the intersection of inequality and community uh, as it manifests itself uh, in housing. Um, I think hunger is very similar. I think there's a lot of overlap there. I know your your programming overlaps between housing and hunger. Um, so as such, uh, I don't do a lot of the 
the mandatory HUD reporting, what I do is more of the, the work with, with people like yourself and Cynthia, uh, trying to make good use of that data for local planning purposes. Perfect. Well, that's uh, a great introduction. There's several points we're going to circle back to. Sure. So I, I definitely want to get more information and, and sh learn more about and be able to have you share more about some of the other uh, communities you're working in, too, because I think that's beneficial to learn from what others are, are doing. But Cynthia, I mean, just as a, as a kicking off from your perspective, Maybe just share with uh, how Anawim has been uh, has been connected to to the institute and and uh, what what our work uh, looks like in their eyes. Mm -hmm. So um, Anawim, as long as we've been required to report into our HMIS or Homeless Management Information System repository, all of the program managers are trained in this reporting through their. Um, uh, data system or through their computer programming. Um, and with that, um, we are tracking when we're entering people into housing, um, if they've been referred to us. Um, and it's also sort of a background tool for us to be able to communicate across other partners or with other partners to let them know where they where individuals are in the stage of, of receiving services within our entire homelessness system continuum of care. Um, so it's something that we are a part of and, and uh, are entering data into on a daily basis. We're both required to do it, but we also know that there is um, a really great outcome when we do that, and that's to have this really rich um, data that we can use to then help to plan how we're going to go ahead and, and serve individuals in our community, what the needs are, where the emphasis needs to be, um, what type of programming we need to have. So let me ask then two questions in regards to, or, or focus in on two words you just said there, data and planning. So how how are we using the data that we're putting in? Because this, you know, I think when sometimes mm -hmm. when we talk talking about data, mm -hmm. there is just this idea of it's just a repository. We're putting, we're just shoving information into a box, but what are we using and how are we using that as it comes back out of that box and from a standpoint of community planning? Sure, so the most recent um, adaptation or, or, or um, reason that we're using or, or purpose of this data is um, we have been really trying to drill down on what the needs for youth are and youth homelessness in our in our um, town. So we um, have been collecting that data and we were able to write a grant um, for serving youth in our community who are experiencing homelessness. So as a result of that and being able to demonstrate that we have a good understanding of what the need is and what type of housing is needed for the, the youth, um, we were able to write a successful grant. And when I say we, it's our community was able to write a, a successful grant. Um, we were awarded that by HUD. There's only so many communities that have been awarded that. Um, so we're really in an elite level um, of communities to even be awarded this and uh, this grant and now we're deep into the planning of um, implementing this grant so that came as a direct result of knowing our data and being able to plan and make changes according to data yeah absolutely the um, the the ability with the data to demonstrate unmet need is why we got and it, so it's a it's a fairly large grant it's a two-year grant uh, the really cool thing is that after those two years are done and we're done spending that money uh, really building up our youth response system, which is absolutely certain to include uh, additional permanent supportive housing for youth, um, then that gets rolled into our pro rata need as a community. So there's very few ways to expand 
um, our overall HUD funding in the community, but this is one of them, and we couldn't have done it without uh, the, the close cl collaboration between uh, our coordinated entry system, putting in data, mm -hmm. um, and also our service providers, because that way we're able to map the difference between the number of people coming in asking for help and uh, the available supply of, of housing to give them. Mm -hmm. And we're able to show, well, there's, there's people who need this kind of housing that Anawin provides, but, mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's not enough of it yet uh, is, is present in the community, and there's a lack of affordable housing. So as long as there's a lack of affordable housing, there's going to need to be things like mm -hmm. uh, PSH programming. Then a little bit closer to home, the other part of, of that is that um, we've been able to track our numbers regarding family homelessness and chronic homelessness within our community. And um, while we absolutely believe that um, family homelessness is a huge problem, what the data has shown us is that um, families are able to resolve their homeless situations at earlier interventions and don't necessarily need to have that permanent supportive housing intervention in order to um, resolve their homelessness status. So when when we have that data and we know then it helps to inform our decisions to go ahead and tailor our grant writing and tailor our programs to serving people who are long-term chronically homeless. So that has come about I would say since 2014, 2015 um, that there's really been that shift in who our communities uh, prioritizes as being um, eligible in service for for housing. So certainly an important uh, systemic shift that to occur at that time. Aaron, uh, I want to talk a little bit about a, a major undertaking that our community uh, goes through. Uh, here in our community, we do it twice a year. Uh, HUD um, requires it at least once a year. Uh, that uh, is called the point in time. And uh, this is a, a literal count of, of individuals li living in, in shelters and on the street. Uh, share a little bit about the role of the Institute and maybe just a little bit about point in time in, in general, if you wouldn't mind. Sure, yeah, that actually happened last night into this morning. Um, and so Great it's, timing. <laughs> it is. Uh, once a year, um, our entire community gets together and goes out and conducts the unsheltered count. Um, so we don't have data on people who don't have case management. Um, and that, that seems like a fairly simple idea, but a lot of people don't, don't know that. Um, unless somebody like Cynthia or her crew uh, is putting in data into our system, we literally don't know that person exists. Um, now, I contend that over the course of a year, almost everybody who's homeless in Des Moines gets counted through some system or another, be that uh, primary health care or, or uh, another street outreach provider. But the only time of the year when we get a comprehensive, accurate count of everybody who's experiencing street homelessness is that point in time night. Uh, so, so it's literally crews gathering and going out into the streets. I've done it myself several times. Um, it's, a, it's a great experience, a great volunteer opportunity as well. Walking under bridges, uh, visiting um, the skywalks, going to the bus station, uh, going to known locations. We use a, a known locations methodology, um, which just means going where we know that there are people. Um, so we have groups like, uh, like Anawim um, and, and, and other providers. Um, volunteering their time and effort because every crew needs somebody in, in a leadership role who's a little more experienced 
And so, you know, the, the usual faces around the continuum of care fill that, that, uh, that role. Uh, the other thing that's great about the point in time is um, a lot of the domestic violence providers, uh, while they're statutorily prohibited from participating in our HMIS data network, they have a parallel data network. Um, the point in time night is the one night that we merge all that data and get a comprehensive count of, of all of the people. Uh, we merge it outside of the system, so there's, I mean, there, there's just a lot of rules. Um, and get a comprehensive count of everybody in the community who's experiencing homelessness. And, and that number then is the number that is used by HUD to decide how much funding needs to go into our community. Mm -hmm. So it's very important that we get as, as accurate as possible. Good. So in addition to just tallying, what other information, uh, Cynthia, would you know, uh, what other information are we gathering from uh, individuals that we're finding? I mean, I know that, that we are responsible for, for letting the continuum know how many beds we have, um, how many people are actually in housing on that very night. So we will be doing a count for who is in housing um, and how many how much um, housing we actually have available. So um, how many units within the community are available for permanent supportive housing, how many units are available in the, in the community for, for rapid rehousing and, and how many shelter beds are available. And so, you know, we're able to look at how many people are literally outside or literally homeless on that night versus how many openings that we have, then those sorts of numbers start to figure out where are we short. Um, so that's sort of the, the main part of what we're, what we're uh, reporting. Um, I do know that the teams that are going out and meeting with, um, with people doing the actual physical outdoor count, um, those of course are part of an engagement tool that we're hoping if we were to run across someone who has never been counted or never had any sort of um, interaction with our homeless system, that we are then extending a really positive um, forward step forward or, you know, hand forward. Um, and so they do have, uh, you know, uh, gift bags that they give out to everybody, gift cards, um, and that acts as a tool to help people want to engage with us as well. Yeah, two, two things building on what you said. Uh, the, the first thing is the housing inventory chart. That's the HIC. Now that doesn't really, in Des Moines, we have such great community partners. It's not as complicated as it could be. Um, the HIC though, at the point in time. And tell, tell me what HIC is. HIC again. is the housing inventory chart. Okay. Um, that is the one time a year when agencies that don't get any HUD funding, don't participate in our data network, we still have to get their counts. Uh, so that's, that's, in Des Moines, it's not a big job. Balance of state it is. Uh, there's a lot of agencies uh, that don't participate in our data network, so we end up um, spending several months making phone calls and pestering people trying to get uh, accurate data for that night. Um, and when you talk about balance of state, as I recall, we've got Polk County that we work with here for right. our continuum. We've got Woodbury County, Sioux City mm -hmm. uh, that, have, that you have. Pottawatomie is over and is taken care of by the Omaha group. That's right. But, but 99 counties in the state of Iowa, you take away three, if I, by my count, at least 96. Is that's, that your balance of state? That's exactly right. That's, that's, a, that's, uh, a, that's a big number. Yep, yep. Our, uh, our Woodbury County picks up um, Sioux County in, in Nebraska, I think it is, and then um, Dakota, Dakota, County, County. Dakota County, Nebraska, yeah. and Union Dakota County, County, South Nebraska. Dakota. That's right, yeah. that's right. So, uh, yeah, 96 counties is the balance of state. And that's a lot of little operations around uh, rural spaces providing one or two beds um, who don't participate in our data network. 
and uh, so we have to pester them. So you know, so Iowa's obviously a very uh, population uh, focused state in that Polk County, Central Iowa, Des Moines is by far and away the largest uh, uh, metropolitan area. So we, by default, have the largest population of individuals needing the services that we are all talking about here today. And, and, and by, secondarily, by default, we have the most highest po uh, uh, individuals population that are homeless. So what are we learning then from the balance of state as far as how that, how those populations, and, and maybe you can speak to maybe the uh, transient nature of, of the population we're talking about, and how are people finding themselves in volume or mass to Des Moines, and why? Well, uh, outside of Des Moines, in, that, in those 96 counties, you could almost say that most of that is urban homelessness as well, and it's mostly in Johnson County or Lynn County. Um, and then the, the rest of that rural space is, is very rural. Um, and doesn't have as many services. So people do have to, by the nature of, of homelessness in rural spaces, travel for services. Uh, we find, because one of the questions we ask is, what is the zip code of your last permanent address? Um, and by permanent, we mean last place you spent 90 consecutive days stably housed. So we're able to build maps that show the distance between uh, permanent housing and then drop into instability and then receipt of services. And on average, that's about 15 to 30 miles. Um, most people who experience homelessness uh, experience homelessness as close as they possibly can to their family and friends because that's, uh, you know, that's where you get your support. Um, outside of that, there are maybe 15-20% uh, of the people um, who travel further and um, and still most of that is, especially in Des Moines, most of that is people coming from the Golden Circle area mm -hmm. of central Iowa, uh, coming to the capital city, um, typically seeking better employment and uh, either not finding it or, or not finding affordable housing and better employment. And I think Cynthia can probably speak to what percentage of your population is working as well as homeless enough. Mm -hmm. um, and they see the same thing in Lynn County and Johnson County. Uh, the difference there is that they're closer to the Illinois border. Uh, so their homeless population, some of it's coming from Illinois, some of it's coming from Iowa. What struck me though there in your words is the idea that we're having to ask that question of 90 consecutive days of stable housing. You know? And I think that's a lot of what, if, if, you're, if you're hearing us uh, talk here that what we often take for granted is just that um, the impact, the life-changing impact of being on the street, homeless, unhoused, unstably housed, has, and um, and now we're going to be obviously the the most recent point in time just now getting tallied. Um, but um, let's let's talk about reflect back to the one that we did here in our community last summer. Mm -hmm. uh, that, uh, as I recall, uh, put our unsheltered population in, in Bow County into the uh, at about the 120 uh, mark, roughly, uh, and uh, that was we saw a bit of an uptick uh, from the previous cycle, uh, January of 19. Mm -hmm. um, that may or may not be a, some outlier factors in some of that, but you know, it, 
that that's a that's a still a pretty significant number. It is, and I, I don't think it was an outlier. I think it was a really accurate number. Um, if anything, we had a few community partners who had been uh, reluctant to participate with their known locations, and so we got more information going into that count uh, that we'd never had access to before. Um, yeah, I think I think that's probably about right. One hundred and twenty or so. Uh, that's a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot of people living in places not meant for human habitation. And, and people will make the argument that there's maybe, in addition to that, maybe another 60 to 80 people who weren't out on that night, but were out in some time in the last month or so. Um, so there's, there's, there's a population that's chronically homeless that's cycling in and out of shelter, in and out of camp, um, and really needs uh, the sort of um, services that, that NOM provides to find long-term stability um, just literally are not capable of finding that stability on their own. So I want to uh, shift gears a little bit and talk about uh, of the data that we, we report and other partners report. Um, I know that some of that has allowed us to discover things in our community and allowed us to adjust our services to meet the, I think, the specific needs of some of uh, our most um, most vulnerable, and and I think one of those areas is uh, is drug use and uh, and addiction. As a nation, I think we often hear about a uh, opioid crisis happening, and it's happening, and and it's certainly happening coast to coast, nationwide. But it's while we don't dismiss that locally as an issue we have a different issue that we're that we is more prevalent here that doesn't quite get the uh, the same uh, national notoriety that the opioid issue has uh, Cynthia you want to talk about that a little bit yeah so um, there is definitely a large methamphetamine problem within the Midwest and specifically within the state of Iowa um, it is, um, we're seeing it in the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest, and the West Coast, um, a little bit throughout the South nas- or nationally. Um, and it is true that, you know, some of the East Coast country or uh, states are not really seeing the level of crystal meth- methamphetamines that we are seeing. Um, but we know that programmatically, when we're working with people who are using methamphetamines on a regular basis, um, that there are real um, programmatic, um, uh, you know, there, there are things that happen as a result of, of people using methamphetamines. So, um, so having a good idea of, of what those, how many people are using, what those outcomes are, that is really helpful for us as we figure out how to serve people um, and also to kind of raise the red flag a little bit. You know, say, hey, we're, we're, we're really experiencing something that's different here than maybe, you know, Washington, D.C. is seeing or, you know, some of the other um, cities where, you know, there's a lot of um, intensive homelessness, um, but for them, the opioid problem is, is greater. Sir, and I want to uh, jump back to you uh, in a uh, in addition to that type of data that we've collected, you've also used other data and demographic information that I think has been useful now for us to not only 
adjust programming, but I think to identify gaps in service to certain populations in our community sure. that we didn't realize was happening until we were able to analyze the data that you, I think, that the Institute was, was able to identify. And it sort of came about in a bit of a roundabout way, I think. It did. But, uh, so we want to share a little bit of that. Sure. Um, <clears throat> so, oh, I think maybe three or four years ago, uh, we'd started building dashboards. And data dashboards uh, we thought would be a great way to communicate some of the uh, findings and uh, demographic profiles of the community experiencing homelessness with um, j not just the people in the continuum of care like, like yourself and Cynthia who are, are actively interested in this, but we were hoping to make it accessible to the broader community. Um, one of the first dashboards we made, uh, we had uh, Des Moines and balance of state data uh, and we, we had a number of, of points and we just sort of tried all the different uh, key demographics we were looking at and one of them was race. Uh, so we had a, a bar chart uh, with the number of uh, people by race within each program type experiencing uh, homelessness and receiving those services. Uh, so the, the distribution by race across emergency shelter looked very similar to the distribution in transitional housing, which looked very similar to rapid rehousing. Uh, permanent supportive housing was an outlier. Um, it, it looked very different. And um, we put it up on, on, on the dashboard in a public meeting and um, some people commented, wow, that's, that's really an outlier. Now that was the balance of state data. Um, but that launched then uh, what's, what's become a two or three year long process of further investigation, um, looking for the root causes of, of that disparity. Um, and after very, very careful investigation and lots of uh, statistical analysis, we came up with three key factors. Um, one key factor was probably that um, prioritization of funding was uh, prioritizing single individuals experiencing homelessness over families. And uh, because um, families are more likely to be uh, minority populations, um, that was pushing more of the funding toward uh, the, the white population. Uh, second um, was our we call it, it's called the VI SPDAT. So that stands for Vulnerability Index uh, Service Prioritization Analysis Assistance Tool. Uh, so it's, it's a long, silly acronym that everybody likes to use because it sort of, sort of sounds funny when you say it. Um, but uh, what it is is a series of questions that we ask in, in a triage fashion to figure out uh, a score for each person and then what is the, the probably the best solution to their experience of homelessness, be it emergency shelter, if it's a low number, permanent supportive housing, if it's a high number. So um, we thought that might be a factor. But the third one, and this is where, where I found the most interesting difference between um, Des Moines and the Balance of State, is so to get into permanent supportive housing, you have to have a diagnosed disability. Um, and, and it's been a topic of national conversation, so it's not going to come as a huge shock that there's a differential outcomes in diagnosis by healthcare providers. Um, and we thought that that might be the biggest factor. So we do track the data point, do you have a diagnosed disability? And so we were able to uh, use uh, chi-square analysis to figure out whether or not um, that's a factor. And it is, it's a huge factor. 
Uh, it's probably the biggest factor, bigger than the VI SPDAT or that difference in funding. Um, but what I thought was interesting was that it's less of an issue in Des Moines. Um, and after, you know, I came to Cynthia because I like and trust Cynthia. And I was like, can you help me understand this data? Um, that's one of our methods is, is we go to other experts in the community and ask. And she helped me understand her process for uh, advocating for her clients to try to get them the diagnosis that she knows that they need. So I thought that was really interesting. Mm -hmm. And it lets Des Moines stand up as a leader. Mm -hmm. So circling back then to how, how you introduced the Institute, I wanted to get your take on how, this, how you're using data uh, that we have here to compare to other communities. You mentioned the balance of state. Uh, are you looking at uh, then that this particular data point yeah. in some of your other communities, and how do we measure up in those? Oh, very uh, well. I mean, there's still a problem in Des Moines, uh, and it's still significant uh, statistically. Um, so we're trying to figure out what we can do about it, um, and the uh, the advocacy that we see, I think, I think, uh, is is a counterfactor but it's, it's less of an issue in Des Moines. And we're starting to move the needle in the balance of state. Uh, but Des Moines is, uh, as far as the significance, so when we test these things, how, how uh, disparate is the distribution of people by program type uh, and race uh, in the balance of state, in uh, Polk County, in the population under 25, which is one we've been doing more recently with this, this Youth Homeless Demonstration Program funding. Um, and, and now we have enough data uh, in the in the VI scores. We have like three years of data now. When we first started this, we only had about six months of data. Um, and we're starting to see those needles move. They're moving in the balance of state and they're moving in Des Moines. Um, so we're, we're seeing the data in collaboration with our community partners actually change the way we do. You know, and we're able to measure that and demonstrate it. That that alone, I think, could we, we could spend an entire podcast just talking about that element alone to me because uh, that's one that would uh, it is, it deserves more attention as we're starting to learn more about it as we look at ensuring that we are uh, fully inclusive to yeah. all of those individuals that are, uh, are suffering on our streets, uh, homeless and in need of service and that um, may not are either are getting the attention they, they need have uh, uh, are not in the position to self-advocate. I think that is potentially a factor in some of this as well. But I think, as you mentioned too, just the the uh, uh, the difference in uh, in in these elements that are uh, factoring into some of these diagnoses or lack thereof. Um, we we need to spend more time uh, talking about that, mm -hmm. and we will on another time. Uh, we have to have you uh, back and really dig into that a little bit further. So I want to thank you both, Aaron uh, Silver Wright, Senior Analyst at Institute for Community Alliances, and Cynthia Latchin, Director of Program Services here at Anwim Housing. Appreciate you both joining us today on the Home Is Everything podcast. Hope you enjoyed this, and please look for another uh, in us in this series in our 2020 series as we explore uh, housing stability and homelessness and how it intersects with other subjects and uh, our community partners. So again, thank you very much for joining us.